Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I've got a lot of notes. Don't know if we'll make it through this morning, but we'll just be led by the Holy Spirit. That's what I like to do anyway. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul, writing here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you, were, you are called. Now, the New Living Translation of that, let's say the last part of that verse, says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, remember, he is talking to a church. This is not a pastoral epistle. This is Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, talking to the church at Ephesus. So he says, I therefore prisoner, of course we know that Paul is in prison when he's writing this, of the Lord. But So he says, I'm not just a prisoner in these, in these means, but he says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord, meaning I, I'm a slave to him. I serve him. He's, he's the one that calls the shots. I follow him, and I may be in prison, but I'm also in prison because I was upholding his name, not just because I've done something wrong, as in stole something or done something against the law. I was, I was doing what God had called me to do and got put in prison for it. It says, Beseech you, I beg you, as we said, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, or we, walk, we lead a life worthy of our calling, for we have been called by God. So notice he's writing this to a church. So that means we can apply it to ourselves in that regard that we need to walk worthy of our calling that God has called us to. What has God called us to be? He's called us to be sons and daughters of him. He's called us to be his servants. He's called us to be examples of the word lived out. We would say living epistles. That's another way of putting that. He's called us to be ministers of the gospel, each and every one of us. Well, I'm not a preacher. I don't want to get behind the pulpit. You don't have to live out the word. Be, a, be an evangelist of how you live and being a witness to those. Speaking of things of God. Speaking how the Word has done things in your life. Speaking how God has, has intervened into your life. Be, give a testimony of what God has done for you. But it tells us that if He's telling us to walk worthy of the calling, to walk worthy of the vocation, then that means you can walk unworthy. This is all a mindset. This is, what, what, this is really where this leads. Paul is saying, change your mind. Walk worthy of the vocation. Walk worthy of what God's called you to do. Because if you don't change your mind, you're going to not walk worthy of what He's called you to do. He's going to call you out on it and say, you're not worthy. I can't do that. The Word tells us in Timothy, both, both epistles of Timothy, all throughout the New Testament especially, even in the Old Testament, it gives examples. When a calling is placed upon somebody, they're to be tried there to be tested to proven of their character now for being christians we're not tried and tested to show that if we're worthy for us to be born again but when we are born again now we're tested and proven to mature in the things of god to prove that we're a christian that's what the worthy walk worthy of the calling walk worthy of being called a christian because if you call yourself a Christian, we're to live how God says to live. We're to live representing Christ, the kingdom of God, not ourselves, not how our flesh wants, not our carnality, but we're to walk worthy, means we're walking in lieu of our relationship with God. If I'm walking with my wife, 
meaning whether I'm beside of her or not, then I'm going to walk as if I'm a married man because I am a married man. I'm not going to walk like a single man, flirting with every woman that walks by, flaunting myself, trying to get in bed or whatever the situation may be. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm married. So why do Christians act like they're single and can serve the devil or God any way they want to when God says, you declared your love for me, you declared your allegiance to me, you declared your covenant to me. So why are you walking like we don't have a relationship? It's a mindset. Too many people will say, it doesn't matter your age, too many people get focused on the honeymoon and the wedding itself and not focused on changing their mindset of being a married person. The same thing goes with Christians. They get so focused on, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell, and that they don't flip their mindset of, now I've got to walk with my God and walk this out each and every day. (laughs) Too many movies will, will puff up a marriage, a courtship, and all these things, especially... Some of your lovey-dovey channels, they'll make everything look so wonderful and so awesome, but then they never tell once they finally get together and either get married or finally declare their love for one another. They never declare what comes after that. Why? Because it's not pretty. Just like becoming a Christian. When you get, when you get born again, the enemy doesn't want you to focus on what's going to come after that. The enemy doesn't want you to focus on Well, I guess the the enemy would want you to focus on that. Focus on the hard days. Focus on this. Focus on that. But many times we in our mind, we get worked up over getting born again. Oh, we're not not going to hell. That we don't think about the days we don't feel like serving God. We don't don't think about, you know, I I need to do this. I need to walk with God. There's there's times when maybe Miss Tiffany will ask me to do something. We'll use an example. We had the boys to take out the trash. But if she was to ask me to take out the trash, and if I said, oh. that expresses my heart. What? I don't want to do it. But if I love her, what am I going to do? I'm going to get my duff up out of the chair and I'm going to take out the trash. Why? Because my wife has asked me to and because I love her. Too many people will treat God as if God will say, I want you to walk worthy of the calling. I want you to walk worthy of being called my child. And people, especially after the honeymoon phase of being born again wears off, they get, oh, oh, oh God, I love you, but I don't want to do this. And then they sit there and they do nothing. Or they do what they want to. They act like they don't hear God. I don't hear you, God. I'm not listening to you, God. That shows your love. Actually, it shows a lack of love. So if we're not careful, we'll have this mindset of we've got fire insurance, now we don't have to do anything. We don't have to pay the premium to to keep the insurance. (laughs) We'll probably get to it. I don't know if we'll get to it today or not. It's actually my second one that we may turn to. I don't know. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talk about being a living sacrifice. That's our premium for fire insurance. You lay yourself down at the altar of God so that way you don't burn in hell. Either way, you're going to face a fire. I'd rather face the fire of God because the Word tells us He's a consuming fire. That means He consumes every bit of your life. God, I want you to be in my life, but you better not touch this area. God says, <laughs> we'll see about that. I'm a fire that feeds on what you'll give me. And if you don't want me to be the God of your life, I won't touch it. 
And I'll just back off. I'll just start, I'll just start petering out because you're not feeding the flame. You're not allowing me to touch the other areas of your life. <laughs> so we've got to have this mindset of saying, God, I want you to be in every area of my life. So we've got to change our mind. We've got to change our mindset toward our God. Because if you don't, you become a God unto yourself and you'll, you'll stomp out your relationship with God and you'll face the eternal flame in that regard. So, so much for verse 1. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. He says, what worthy of the vocation, what worthy of the calling you've been called with. Do it with all lowliness. That means you don't esteem yourself higher than you should. With all meekness, that means teachability. You're able to be taught. <laughs> a, a teacher's, I started to say a teacher's worst nightmare. We could ask Dr. Shayla after, after service, and she can rebut me if I'm wrong. But one, and, and Miss Melissa, we could ask her too, one of a teacher's worst nightmare is somebody that doesn't want to be taught. Why? Because what are they going to do? They're going to rebel. I don't want to be taught this. I'm not listening to you. I don't want to be taught this. Well, Paul's saying be meek, be teachable. So if, now I'm just going to give you a little heads up. What comes in verse 11? The fivefold ministers. So if you can't capture verse 2 of being taught, you sure are going to pitch a fit when verse 11 comes. So with all lowliness and meekness means teachability. I've, I've been preaching almost as long as Elijah has been alive. God called me to preach right after he was born. That's how long I've been preaching. That's quite a while. I don't want to tell off of my age or Elijah's age, but that's been a little bit. But with that, I have preached all these things, and I've preached these things a lot. I've preached a lot of times for almost two decades. But with that, I, I, even myself, I can't have the mentality of I can't be taught. I've heard this, or I don't want to do this, or I, I can't do that. Why? Because I would violate this verse, but also I miss out on opportunities to receive this may be the same. I liked what was said in the conference this past week, or this past week that manna, there may be fresh manna, but it's still going to have the same recipe. There may be fresh manna, but it's still going to be the same recipe. Why? Because it's still the things of God. God's still the one that created it. God's still the one that has put it all together. But it may be fresh to us because it's maybe now we've, we've hit the level where God can reveal this in a new way. Oh, praise God, I've never seen it this way before. Why? Because you've been meek. You've been teachable. That God can show you that. Because now He can trust you with a new level. But if we shut that off and we say, Oh, I've heard this before. Well, then you'll go nowhere. You will turn out to be like Janice and John Brace, who just makes fun of Moses and gets put out for it. They're forever recorded as two spiritual retards in rebellion and don't honor God and don't honor the man of God. You can be what you want to. You can be a Judas. You can be a Janice and John Brace. You can be Korah. Or you can be Joshua. You can be Caleb. You can be Moses. You can be David. You can be one of David's mighty men. You can be whoever you want to be choice is yours but it's all going to be what you decide in your mind it's all about a mindset <laughs> i had a choice in basic training i could either submit to the training become a soldier or i could become rebellious do what i want to and it would go well it would not go well for me because there was those that had that and i saw it and i saw what happened to them 
I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of that group. I'd just rather submit, be teachable, and allow myself to be made into what I need to be made into, and it will go well for me. <laughs> we, have the same, we should have the same mentality as a Christian. Father, I submit to you. I submit to the Word. I submit to the pastor you've called me to. I submit to the house of God you've called me to. And I, Lord, anything you want to show me, whatever you want to make me, I'm changing my mind to what you say. Not for me to make my mind up, get stone-hearted, stone-mind, that I never change anything about me and just let you bounce off of me. But Father, I, may I change into what you want me to be. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's that unity in the Spirit. Hmm. There is one body and one Spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive, speaking of Jesus, and gave gifts unto men. Now, if you can see, my, my King James puts verses 9 and 10 in parentheses. So, technically, you could go from verse 8 to verse 11. But, because verse 9 and 10 are in here, we'll continue to read. Now, he that, now, now that he ascended, means going to heaven, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So, before Jesus went to heaven, before he could ascend, he actually went to hell. Now, some denominations, those, oh, Jesus didn't go to hell. You can't say that. That's heresy. That's false doctrine. He went to Hades. He went to Gehenna. Whatever word you want to use for it, it's the same place. He went, to, he went down into the earth, the lower parts of the earth. However you want to split that, have at it. But he descended so that he could ascend. That he, verse 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Which leads us to verse 11. And he gave some, being Jesus, he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Okay, as we've said many times, why did he give those, Paul? Why did Jesus give these gifts? For the perfecting or the maturing of the saints. Notice the born again ones. Notice, these fivefold are not to mature and perfect the pagans. They're to mature and perfect the saints. It's all of our job as Christians to go out and to witness and evangelize and to get people born again. It's the fivefold to help them once they're born again, to disciple them, to help them, to mature them, to perfect them. Now, the saints there means holy ones, the pure, the set-apart ones. <laughs> so even that... Even that, we could split hairs. That means it's not the pastor's job to chase after the ones that are not pure, that are not holy, that are not set apart. The fivefold, because that's the definition of saints, is what that means. That means if somebody comes in here, claims to be a Christian, yet they're not holy, they're not set apart, and they're not pure, it's not my job to perfect them. Because remember, Paul, is ta Paul tells Timothy, and I think he tells Titus, you give this unto faithful men. That means they've been proven. That is who you give it to. That's who you give the word to. That's who you put discipleship into. That's who you spend time with. 
Not just la-di-da-di everybody. You give the ones that you're not wasting your time. That's who you give it to. For the perfecting and maturing of the saints. For the work of the ministry. Not just to perfect them, get them all puffed up with knowledge. Why? So they can do something. Because it's not our lives are not about us. Our lives are about honoring God. The ministry, the serving, the heart of honoring God with our lives and everything that we do. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. It all goes back to helping honor God, to worship Him, to serve Him, to honor Him, to do the work, to put our hand to it, that we honor and help others, but we also are helping the body of Christ to grow. Verse 13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith, till we all come in one mind and one accord. I haven't seen that yet. I don't think that's happened yet. I don't think it will happen until we're raptured out of here. So that means we've got a job to do. It means we've got things to, things to take care of. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Let me back up just a second, because there are some spiritual people, and I say that sarcastically, that will say, well, we don't need apostles, we don't need prophets, we don't need evangelists, we don't need teachers, but they won't declare they don't need pastors as far as being a role. But they'll declare, we don't need these. And these have been done away with. They're cessationists. They say, we don't need these things because they're done away with. Well, this verse 13 says, till we need all of these things, we need all of the fivefold, till we all, we all come into the unity of the faith. So that means if somebody says, well, these things have been done away with, we don't need these anymore, that means they're calling God a liar. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. He doesn't say until you come of age. He says that all of us, remember he's talking to a church, that we, he's including himself, that we henceforth be no more children. What does that include? A change in your mind. A change in your mind. Paul says that when I was a child, I spoke as a child. He said, I've had to put away childish things. What happened? He changed his mind to become mature. He changed his mind to focus on the mature things of God, to grow up, to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, and not stay the same. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So to, to, to grow up, to mature, means you've got to, Make up your mind. You've got to change your mind to what God says to change your mind to, to focus on Him and the Word, that you're not tossed to and fro, and that you're not carried about with every wind of doctrine. When you're unsettled in your mind, you'll go this way, then you'll go that way, then you'll go this way, then you'll go that way, and then you go this way, and then you go a little further this way, and then you come back this way, then you go a little further this way, and then it's, people can't keep up with you. They don't know if you're coming or going. They don't know if you're manic. They don't know if you're schizophrenic. I mean, sometimes you can't keep up. You're like, who are we getting today? Is it person number one? Is it person number three? Is it person number 12? Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if the Gadarene demoniac can be cast, have demons cast out of him that fills 2,000 pigs, how many personalities were in that guy? How many personalities are in people that declare to be Christians today? 
but yet they're tossed to and fro because they won't change their mind to what the Word says. They change their mind to what the world says. They change their mind. If you haven't noticed, the world can't make up its mind. The world is completely unstable in all of its ways. Why? Because it's double-minded. <laughs> so we've got to make up our mind. And we're going to get to that hopefully today. Uh, but we've got to make up our mind that we're not double-minded. How do we do that? We grow up. We mature. We change our mind. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. So now he says he goes from being immature, being a child, that you're kind of pulled around. Now he covers by the slight of men, by the cunning craftiness of men. That means being deceived. Somebody pulling you away. Well, how can you not be pulled away? Know what the Word says. I can't tell you how many people have told me, well, this, well, this or that and this, and they'll give a, not a proverb as in the Bible, but a saying like a proverb. And they'll say, well, that's in the Bible. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Where is it at? Uh, that's like cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. People will say that. <laughs> I actually had a former boss of mine say that with some of his bigwig friends, and and he asked me to do something, so I'm working in the lab, and I've got stuff everywhere, working on what he asked me to work on, and it's not a, it's not a clean process. So he comes in, kind of scoffs and makes fun of me, and then says, well, because he knows I'm a Christian, he says, well, you know what the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness, you better get to cleaning up. And as he turns around to walk off, feeling big about it by himself, all puffed up, I said, that's not in the Bible. Now, it's probably wrong of me to rebuke him in that manner, especially in front of these people that were with him. But I'm like, you're not going to play the half-baked Christian and come in here and throw in what you think is the Bible in my face when you're the spiritual retard. I said, that's actually not in the Bible. And he turns around and looks at me and says, yeah, it is. I said, no, it's not. I said, that's nowhere in the Bible. He said, God wants you to be clean and holy. I said, but there's no, that, that saying is never, nowhere in the Bible. Oh, okay. And he walks off. But see, people take that to heart. Why? Because they don't know the Word of God for themselves. So in that regard, they get pulled away. They get pulled this way. They get pulled that way out of immaturity. Or somebody tells them, hey, this is in the Bible. Hey, this is in the Bible. Why do you think Mormons are so popular? Because one man had a demon visit him, not an angel, and writes a whole other book that God couldn't do himself, that God couldn't add to the Bible. So they got to have the Book of Mormon. I call it the Book of Retard. That's what I call it. Because ain't no demonic, demonic being going to give a man that kind of thing to write an extra book to the Bible. That's not of God. <laughs> and it's also a telltale sign that the followers didn't know the Word of God because their leader had multiple people he was sleeping with that were not his wife, that were the wives of everybody around him, and he used his little book to make it seem okay. And then he, he actually died in a bad business deal because he was a bad business guy. He was ripping people off. You tell me why God would use a man like that to send an angel to add a whole other book to what was left out of the Bible. It's heresy. It's demonic. Anyway, coming back to this. If we know what's in the Word of God, we won't be tossed about in immaturity, but we also won't be caught off guard by some sly little fox. We also won't be caught off guard by some wolf or some snake, by the cunning craftiness of men. 
whereby they lie and wait to deceive. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're picking on you because they think you're stupid. That's what this says. They're waiting for the right opportunity for some gullible person to walk by and to pounce on them. <laughs> Verse 15. But, <laughs> speaking the truth in love. Well, who does that? Who is that? That would go back to your verse 11. The fivefold ministers. Because remember, verse 14 takes a turn to say, so they're there, so we don't have to be like children. We don't caught off guard by these deceivers. But they speak the truth in love and may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So Christ is the head of everything because He's Jesus. He's the head of the body. We're his, we're his body. So you have the five-fold ministers to help perfect, to help mature. They're there to help you change your mind and what, needs, what it needs to be changed to by the Word. Verse 16, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth Walk not as other Gentiles walk. He says, don't walk as they walk. Don't walk as these non-believers walk. Well, if that's what this book says, book of Ephesians, and if the Word tells us that multiple times all throughout the Bible, then why do so many Christians in so many churches want to walk as pagans walk? Why do they allow so much pagan ideology into their house of God? Or into their life, either way. But it says, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. <laughs> vanity means uselessness in the corruptness of their mind. So when you use your life and you use your mind and change it to pagan ideology, not just idolatry, but pagan ideology, ideas that come from the pagan background, and you do that, this says that you're corrupting your mind. So we've got to change our mind to be focused on the Word. Change our mind to be focused on the kingdom of God. But don't walk in the vanity of their, of their mind. Or they do, but don't, don't you do it. Verse 18, having the, understanding, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance. Ignorance. There's a difference in not knowing and being ignorant. When you don't know something, you don't know it. But when you ignore something, it's where ignorance comes from. When you ignore it, I know it's there, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have part in that. You're ignoring it. That's like, you know, when you ignore a speed limit sign, you can expect the cop's going to hold you to that. When you ignore certain things, you're bound, even though you don't want to agree it's there, you want to pretend like it's not there, when you ignore it, you're still bound by that knowledge. Even the Word of God tells us that when we know what is right and we don't do it, it is sin. Because we choose to ignore it doesn't mean that God excuses us. But through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, and their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, we would say licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. 
But ye have not so learned Christ. He says, you should have a different mindset. Because you haven't learned this about Jesus. This is not where this came from. If so, be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. He says the truth is in Jesus. Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Can't get much more truth than that. He's the Word made flesh, so the Word is truth. Can't get much more than that. Verse 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the former lifestyle or conduct of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Mm. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means our mind is what needs to change. Our mind is what needs to change. We need a, Christians need a change of mind, not location, not relationships, not substances, where we would say possessions or habits, etc., things like that. We don't need to change in those. We need a change of mind. Now, yes, there, if you change your mind to focus on the things of God, you may have to relieve some friendships. You may have to relieve some places that you used to go. But too many times people will look for an escapism mindset of, well, if I could just get out of here, or if I could just go there, or if I could just be around these people, they focus on the thing or person bringing them the peace and what they're looking for instead of changing their mind to line up with the Word of God and having the fruit of the Spirit in their life is really what they're looking for anyway. Looking for peace, looking for love, looking for joy. <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. Why? Because you're looking in the world's way, not in God's way. But that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which, is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Hmm. I love how Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts that. That you put on the new man. That's a choice. That's a choice. You put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and, which we would say right standing with God, and true holiness. So even Paul knows that there is this deception of fake holiness. Fake holiness. A facade of holiness, which ties right into Timothy when he says, a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He says, when God, when you put on the new man, when God really has his way in you, he's going to put you in right standing with him, and you're going to follow true holiness. Not some fake bull. You're going to follow God in true holiness, and you're going to want to be holy because you serve a holy God. Amen. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So when we follow God and we're put in right standing with Him because we put on the new man, we change our mind to what He says, we'll be in actual right standing with Him, and we'll want to follow true holiness. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Prove all things. Hmm. Prove all things. That means you've got to try it. You've got to test it. Well, how do you know if it's good or not? 
Well, when you've been taught by the fivefold ministers and taught by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, you have discernment and you're able to say, that's of God, that's not. Well, how do you know? Because it lines up with the Word or it doesn't line up with the Word. So I know where it stands based on what my study and my walk with God and how I know the Word and how it's written on the tablet of my heart. I know if this lines up with the Word or not. But how can you be matured and perfected in those things unless you submit yourself and are meek and humble under the fivefold ministers because god will reveal things to you there is a verse that says you have no man yet to teach you and no need of any man to teach you that means you now have the holy spirit to show you to reveal things to you but even with that because you got also we also have to remember we cannot read the bible in a western mindset you cannot read this as an american you've got to read it as what they're saying in their culture, their customs, how they're living. Because if, especially as more, the more I've traveled up north or traveled to different places and met people, meet people from the, you know, the West Coast or the East Coast, things of that nature, I, I begin to realize when I give an example or when I say something, I can't expect everybody to understand what I'm saying. Not as in they can't understand that I'm speaking English, that they can't say, well, you know, you know, give a phrase or something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm finding frog hair split three ways. People up north, they're not going to understand that. What in the world? What about a frog and his hair and split three ways? What? What does he mean? They don't get that. That's the way we are trying to read the Bible in American eyes. When we try to read this with American eyes of applying that then what we're doing is we're taking it out of context, applying it to what we know instead of diving into what God says and what their culture would be. Because many times we'll pick on the people who will cherry pick verses and say, well, they're using the Bible for themselves. Well, don't we do the same thing sometimes? We'll, we'll We'll pull big chunks of Scripture and look at it through Western eyes or American eyes and we're not reading it correctly because we're not understanding what the culture is, or what is actually being said there. So we've got to be careful that we don't, we don't do that. We see it for what it really is. We study it out. That's why we should have Bible study, not just trying to work our way through the Bible within a year. It's like, if you want to do that, fine. But you need to also have an additional study time to sit down to understand things, to read it, to, to be able to take it to heart, to capture the heart of it. If I were to say, you know, if I were, well, I've done it for almost three years now, or two and a half years. Pre-service prayer at 9 a.m. Well, okay. If I just say that, and I say it for two and a half years, everybody's like, oh, yeah, we had that. And, and it's optional because pastor said we don't, he's never said we have to be there, or it's just, you know, something extra that we do. No, 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 no. That's the reason I explain the heart of it. It's to reset us, to wash off everything else, and to set our heart and the atmosphere in this sanctuary on the things of God. With that explanation, you can capture the heart of, what, of why we do that. I know that that may be a silly example, but I think it's a pretty good one. Because I can tell you why we do it, the purpose of it, to understand. Now you can capture the heart, not just that we have pre-service prayer. Because when you just capture the surface of it, you, we become legalistic, which is the spirit of religiosity. Well, we just do this. Well, why do you do this? 
Well, I don't know. We just, Pastor just said we do this. <laughs> Which is, I've given my example plenty of times of, you know, being in the military when we were on deployment, we had a group of us, and some of us had never worked together, some of us had, and our new chief, what we called it field artillery, he was the NCO that was in charge of our little group, and I was, I don't know, second or third, I was probably third or fourth at that time in command in our little group, and he started asking questions of different things. And you got all these, all these different guys, they're maybe the same rank as I am, or maybe one or two lower than me, I think maybe one other above me, but he started asking these questions, and they couldn't answer these simple questions of why do you do this? Why does the army have you do this? Why does the army have you do that? The one that stood out to me the most was he said, why do, why do we have to shave every morning? Because there were some guys grumbling and complaining about it. That was, that was what started it all. Somebody grumbled and complained. I don't like shaving every day. We're on deployment. Why do we got to shave every day? This is stupid. That sounds like some Christian religiosity. Why do we do this? This is stupid. And so that prompted our new chief to say, well, why do we have to shave every day? You hear everybody mumbling and like not answering. And I'm kind of standing in the back. And I, I raise my hand. Now, mind you, I've told this testimony before. I, every chief, so to speak, every NCO that was, a, that was in charge of me all the way through my military career, really, was of higher caliber. Means they weren't easy. They weren't pansies. They weren't limp-wristed, half-baked modern society preachers. I mean, NCOs. They put a challenge on my life and a command for me to come up higher. Now, what was my example? Was it pastors or was it NCOs? That's right, it was NCOs. So anyway, so I raised my hand, and our new chief says, he says, Drew's, because I kind of knew him from my other chief that I had, and this guy was, he, he was, our new chief used to be under my, my old chief. So he raised him up to the caliber he is. Anyway, so he knew my old chief, so he called, they used to call me Drew's or Preach or Rev. They had all kinds of names for me. So, okay. So I raised my hand. He says, Drew's, he says, what's the answer? And I said, well, we have to shave every day because if we don't, the stubble from our face will break the seal on the gas mask when you go to put it on. And it will allow that gas and everything to get up underneath and it will cut off your breathing. It can kill you. Or if the worst, make you want to throw up and have to take off your mask and then you're, you're done for anyway. And he says, that's absolutely right. He says, he says, he calls the guy's name. He says, Sergeant so-and-so was your chief, wasn't he? And I said, Roger, Sergeant, Roger, chief. And he says, I can tell. He said, that's why you know a lot of these questions and these guys don't. Why? Because I was given the heart of it. Not just told what to do. I was given the heart of it. So that leads us to prove all things. Well, how do you do that? You've got to capture the heart of God. Capture the heart of the Word. Capture the heart of the Spirit of God and what He's meaning and what He wants done. You're not going to find that in some half-baked church. Somebody that's half-serving the world anyway. You're not going to find that because they haven't caught the heart of God themselves. Anyway, not my message. We need to change our mind to focus on God. That's the heart of my message. So prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Hold fast to it. Find it. Hold on to it. Don't let go. Verse 22. 
abstain from all appearance of evil. Many times we'll say abstain from the very appearance. This says abstain from all. All appearance. Every form of evil. Every form of evil. Abstain. Stay away from it. Don't be around it. Cut it off. Then verse 23. And the very God of peace. Why does it say that? Because it says if you prove all things, you hold fast which is good, you abstain from everything that is evil, that even appears evil, and, which means it will bring about, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. You allow Him. You allow Him to sanctify you wholly. Meaning, allow Him to touch every part of your life. Allow Him to, to be that consuming fire in your life. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, he says, sanctify you wholly that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. All three of these have to deal with your mind. Spirit, we know we're a tripart man, spirit, soul, body. But all three of them are affected by your mind. Well, how's my soul affected by that? Or how's my spirit affected by that? Well, your spirit's affected because you choose in your mind to reject God or not. Your body is made up by what you choose in your mind. Either to not eat this or to eat this. Either to eat the screaming demon burger or not. When we went to the conference, there was a burger called the Screaming Demon. And one of our guys that was with us on this trip said, you know what, I, I, I've, I've, just, I've got to eat this because if I leave here, I'll never know what it was to taste like. And it may haunt me that I won't know what the Screaming Demon tastes like. Well, he found out what the Screaming Demon tastes like. So, anyway. <laughs> but it's one of those things to where our mind will make up a choice, and when we make that choice, it's going to have an effect on the rest of us, on our body, on our spirit, on our soul. So this is why it's so important for us to change our mind toward the things of God and toward the kingdom of God to say, Father, whatever you desire. I want to be who you want me to be. I've determined in my mind, my mind is made up to serve you. My mind is made up to honor you. My mind is made up that you are my God and nothing else has my attention like you do. That's the importance of the mind. I like what Dr. Barclay said. He said, you've got to match your mind to your spirit, not your spirit to your mind. You match your mind to your spirit, meaning, meaning the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You match your mind to your spirit, not your spirit to your mind. You match your mind to say, Holy Spirit, you're in me. You're upon me, so I'm matching my mind to what you say. I'm matching my mind to what you say, not your spirit to match to your mind because your mind is carnal. Your mind will go wonky if you let it go by itself. So we've got to determine that we stay focused on the things of God. But the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blameless. 
Amen. So let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll read one verse here. James chapter 1. Verse 8. James 1 8. I've kind of alluded to this and discussed it roundabout. It says, A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double minded man. Now, double minded means two souled. Means you have one soul that's focused on the things of God, one soul that's focused on the things of the world. You can't have it both ways. Not, you can't live a double life. A double-minded man is unstable. means he's unsettled, disorderly, unruly, cannot be restrained in all his ways. He's unsettled, disorderly, unruly. <laughs> I would dare say, if you have people under you, whether it's on the job, whether it's your children, whether however you want to look at it, if there's people under you and you're double-minded, and all of a sudden, those people under you are unstable, they're unsettled, they're disorderly, they're unruly, and cannot be restrained, it's probably because you have a double mind and it's bleeding into them. With that being said, now that I've maybe, maybe slapped everybody, let's apply it into a different regard. What about churches that have the same reputation? That they're unruly, they're unsettled, they're disorderly, and they cannot be restrained. And nothing's being done about it. That shows there's a double-mindedness in the leadership of that church. Now, yes, we know you're going to always have one or two knuckleheads that are just going to be the rebellious type that just won't listen, that won't whatever. We, we get that. But when, that, when that's the average of the church, when that's the average of the congregation is unsettled, disorderly, unruly, and cannot be restrained, there's more at play than just one or two knuckleheads. That means it's coming from the leadership that they're double-minded and it's bleeding into the people. So let's skip over to verse 27. James 1.27 Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, or we would say to help those that can't help themselves when they're in trouble, and... To keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep himself unspotted from the world. The word keep means to guard, to reserve, to hold, to preserve. To keep himself. So you guard yourself. You reserve yourself. You withhold yourself. Preserve yourself. Unspotted from the world. That means without blemish, pure, clean, and consecrated. That's a mindset. That's a choice and within your mind. If I'm going to keep myself unspotted from the world. Now, a couple years ago, so let's say three years ago, everybody made up their mind they're going to be unspotted from, from COVID. Everybody's going to be unspotted from everything. We're just going to cut everybody off. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. We're just going to stay in our little home, and we're just going to be unspotted from everything. So that way we can stay healthy and clean and be okay. But people won't do this with sin. People won't do this with the world. They're too busy rolling around in the muck and the mire and all the feces of the world, and getting it all over them. And not keeping themselves unspotted. Not keeping themselves without blemish. Pure, clean, and consecrated. You do it for a sickness, but you won't do it for your eternity. Sounds like you need to change your mind. 
<laughs> so let me give you another quote. I feel like the Lord gave me this a few years ago. So this is not only maybe a little bit deeper, but it also works really well as far as the word that I'm about to tell you. So flesh, so think about how to spell flesh, is self-mirrored ending in hell. Flesh is self-mirrored ending in hell. I mean, you, you take the word flesh, you write it out, then you take off, you move the H for hell, what do you have mirrored? Self. And that's what the flesh will get you. It just reflects what your self wants and it will take you to hell. That's the ending of it. So flesh is self-mirrored ending in hell. Why? Because that's exactly where flesh will get you. That's where self will get you. When you make yourself your God and you hold God off, and you say, no, 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 God, no, 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 God. I'm not, I, don't want, I don't want you touching that area of my life. Then you're being selfish. You're being selfish of that part of your life and telling the consuming fire, our God, that he can't have that. And it will pull you away from God, which you do that long enough and you don't repent. You'll get callous in your heart. You'll get turned over to a reprobate mind. And then you'll walk away from God. So we've got to be careful. We've got to make sure our mind is focused on the things of God. So let's try to end on a good note. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I haven't even got halfway through my notes yet. So it sounds like we'll have a part two. <laughs> we'll see what the Lord wants. Amen. So Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, we kind of discussed this a little bit earlier. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. As we said earlier, it's like you want the fire insurance, but this is your premium. This is your reasonable service. The least you can do is to be a living sacrifice before your God, to present yourself Present your body. Notice it says present your bodies. Because hopefully your spirit man is lined up with the Holy Spirit because you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And because of that, hopefully you're changing your mind the way that it should, which we're going to get to in a minute because Paul even covers that. But so what's left? What do you act out of? Your body. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice. That means what you do in your body, what you do with your body, you're to honor God and to show Him, I'm going to be holy, I'm going to be acceptable unto you. Notice He doesn't say to offer your soul, to offer your spirit. He says, you present your body. Because that's what you sin with. You sin with your body. You sin with something, maybe it's sexual in nature, maybe it's drugs, or maybe it's cigarettes, maybe it's cigars maybe it's whatever maybe it's i don't know lying with your mouth whatever whatever sin you want to put in there you're going to do that with your body why because the body is what you will do that sin with it's what craves that sinful nature so you got to have your mind made up you got to have your spirit man in tune you got to have your spirit man matching you got to have your mind matching your spirit man. I was trying not to get that backwards. Having your mind matching your spirit man so that your body will present itself a living sacrifice. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, 
but be transformed, be made something new. We say change, condition, transfigured by the renewing of your mind. So present your body, renew your mind. Renew there means you restore, you replenish, you revive, you reestablish. Well, how can we reestablish if we've just been born again? Well, then you're reestablishing it back to the way God designed for it to be. Because remember, man was made to walk with God, to honor Him, to worship Him. That's the whole reason man was made. So you're reestablishing it. But for most of us has been Christians for a while, we need to reestablish our mind every single day to say, Father, I'm focusing on you. I'm not focusing on the world as much. I'm focusing on you. I'm turning everything back over to you. I'm changing my mind to focus on you again. I got distracted or whatever hindrance, whatever that was. Father, I know I don't need to focus on that. I need to be transformed, renewed in my mind toward you. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thoughts, your feeling, your will, your understanding, your emotions. Hmm. You mean you've got to change your feelings and your emotions to what God says? Hmm. That's right. It also means your opinion. You change your opinion to what God says. Not what you think. <laughs> but it also says your appetites. It's a lot in that word. But you'd only know that if you study. So I challenge you, study the word more. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, last verse. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, Every man that is among you. Not to think. So he says, here's what not to think. You think by renewing your mind, transforming the renewing of your mind. He says, but here's what not to think. Think of yourself more highly than he ought to think. It means don't put yourself as God. Many people do that now. It's what's about me. This is my life, my truth, my this, my that. No, 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 no. You're thinking too highly of yourself. He says, but to think soberly. Which means temperate, moderate, serious. It doesn't mean we've got to be serious in everything. It just means when it comes time to be serious, be serious. You, know, there's, you can't always laugh and joke about everything. But yet you can't always be uptight and serious about everything either. You've got to find the balance. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we've, we've got to make sure that we have our minds made up to serve God. If we're not careful, our mind will start allowing confusion to come in. Our mind, if we're not transformed by the renewing of our mind, different things will start speaking to us. It causes confusion. It causes, starts causing chaos in our life. And when that begins to happen, it shows that we're not being led by, by different things of God. We're allowing ourselves to be left alone for the flesh. It's one of the things that I, I thought was really well from this conference that we just had, of course, it's a leadership conference, but Christians should be led by the Word, by God, would say the Holy Spirit, because triune, Trinity, to be led by the Word, be led by God or the Holy Spirit, and by your pastor, as, as we saw from Ephesians 4. doesn't mean that I have to Hold your hand, help you, help you tie your shoes, tell you which, what color car to pick out or which car to pick out. It just means that when we give the word like this, 
or moments of discipleship. And those opportunities take to heart what's being said, not by my opinion, but what's being said by the Word. Especially even if it's in private and I say, well, the Word says this. Now, if I say, well, in my opinion, you can take that or you can flush it. Usually if I'm going to tell you it's my opinion, it's probably because I know either somebody's been through it or I've been through it. So trying to give you some words of wisdom, but yet it's not the Bible, so you can take it or leave it. But especially if I say, well, the Word says, then that is there for a reason. That's part of that perfecting and maturing and helping to cut out the confusion, to cut out all of the lack of leadership that's causing this chaos and confusion. So Christians should be led by the Word, by God, their pastor, but a lack of leadership creates confusion. The part of being led requires you to be given truth. That's, the part, that's part of being led, is to be given truth. Now, we know that you can be led astray, things of that nature, but part of true biblical leadership is giving truth. So the goal is to change to God's truth, not anything else. Not to be deceived, not to compromise the truth, not to allow this other stuff to bring confusion and chaos, but to be given the truth and now say, I'm obeying the truth. I'm changing my mind to what the truth says. I'm changing my mind to what the Word says, what God has said, and what my pastor said because he's given me the Word. Not his opinion. He's given me the Word so I can change my mind to what the Word says. So may we not find ourselves in trouble and chaos and confusion and all this mess that we can create on our own, but may we change our mind to the things of God that we have not only a good life, but we have a victorious life serving God. Amen. So change your mind to focus on Him and to make it, make it think and focus on what He says to focus on. Amen. Amen.